0: All of a sudden, when you didn't have the lifestyle of college, you know, the, the fraternities, the parties, the, the other so, the football games, the social activities, uh, when, it, when it was just all of a sudden reduced to class, people started asking, what, what is college worth?
1: My guest today is Will Bunch. Will is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. He is the national opinion columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer and author of several books. His latest book is After the Ivory Tower Falls, Our College Broke the American Dream and Blew Up Our Politics and How to Fix It. I recently sat down with Will and we tackled the big question of what and who is college even for? Will, thanks so much for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. I was looking forward to it since we spoke uh, sometime last week. And uh, thanks once again. Yeah, Charles, thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be on with you. Okay. The name of the book, folks, is After the Ivory Tower Falls, How College Broke the American Dream and Blew Up Our Politics and How to Fix It. Uh, So, Will, you ask the hard questions. And uh, I want to dive right into this because I have five of my kids And they all went to college. And uh, my last one just graduated, and I was listening in. Uh, I was more active than I was because it was over Zoom during COVID. And forget about just how what was taught and the things were taught and what was said. Uh, I didn't want to really agree with my son that he didn't need college. And after hearing a lot of what I was hearing and just going through the process, I was really bamboozled.
0: There's a, there's a huge debate going on in this country that we haven't had for a long time. And that debate is, what, what is college really for? You know, why wh- why do we go to college? Um, uh, what do we actually learn there? Uh, how important is it to get a job? How how important is it to uh, judge your status in society? Because that's a big factor, especially down with the political piece. I found that, um, you know, people some people feel they're looked down upon because they don't have a college diploma or that they, or that they will be looked down on if they don't go ahead and get that diploma, whether they want to sit in a class for four years or not. And, um, you know, uh, uh, I I grew up, uh, I don't know when you grew up Charles, but I grew up in the sixties and seventies and, and college was the American dream. And that was pretty much unquestioned, you know, that, that if you wanted to have a better life, you had to go to college and that was drilled into people. And, when the when the cost of college started rising exorbitantly and when the tuition started going off the charts and when people started having to take out these gigantic loans in order to pay for it um people still people still didn't question it because it was the dream and because now now employers were really demanding that diploma to get a job and so that's kind of created that's created a lot of the problems we have today including i guess some of the problems you, you picked up on as a parent.
1: Yeah, I want to tell you. I know some of my friends. They signed loans for their kids for hundreds of thousands of dollars, that took no more than a few minutes. One of my friends said, "I signed a hundred fifty thousand dollar loan quicker than I've ever signed anything else, and it was the easiest thing in the world." And now my son is st- straddled with one hundred fifty thousand dollars of college debt, and uh, he happened to be a doctor. Uh, the kid was going to be a doctor and he's a doctor now. And, and um, I don't know, he worked out something with his employer where they're going to pay part of it. But my gosh, if you're majoring in social work or some profession that there is no way in hell you're ever going to make that money back. How do you get out from under that?
0: Yeah. The, the thing is, um, if you're, if you're a middle-class family in America, uh, Having that, de- having that college diploma and having your kid go to college says something about who you are, about your moral values and about your work. and that's just drilled into families and you know your, your doctor friend for example, I'm sure he didn't really feel there were any other options it's, you know it's um, my kid is going to go to college because what's the alternative? you know the alternative is that people will think he's a failure, you know he might not do as well in the job market. So I'm going to have to take this gamble, right? I'm going to have to gamble $150,000 uh, and just hope that when he comes out on the other side, he gets a job that he can easily pay that back without putting too much of a dent in his yeah, lifestyle. Well, well,
1: well, he happened to go. He happened to become a doctor. The kid was going to go, going to medical school, yeah. so that was a good that was a good risk reward ratio. Uh, you know, uh, if he, he will he would have the earning capacity in order to pay this off. But if you're going right. to be a master's of social work, or a liberal arts, international liberal arts, which I uh, recently we hired someone who spent a zillion dollars at NYU to become I don't know what the hell an international liberal arts major is, but yeah, right. uh, whatever it was, it, well NYU got sixty to seventy thousand dollars over four years in terms of uh, tuition as well as um, as well as uh, um, uh, you know room and board. But some of these professions, uh, art history, uh, philosophy, uh, isn't well, it?
0: Isn't I, th- I think
1: to me, to me, a big
0: worry, though, is what, what about the professions that don't pay as much as a doctor, but yet are important to society? I mean, the one that jumps to mind in particular is um, teacher, right? I mean, we, we have a huge shortage of teachers in this country right now. I mean, we can't we can't train enough of them, but how and how are we going to convince people to get the kind of education that, that we know that they you need to be well educated to be a good okay, teacher. Okay, you don't
1: need that. to spend seventy thousand dollars in an Ivy League school. You could easily spend five to seven thousand at a state school. So tell me what right. the well, difference is.
0: Um, ab- absolutely. You know, uh, it, you know, um, uh, public education has always been kind of the bedrock of the system. You know, we, you know, Charlie, we focus so much on the Ivies. You know, and. and some of it's the media. You know, a lot of people who work at the New York Times or the Washington Post went to Harvard or Yale, and they end up writing stories about what's happening at Harvard or Yale to show uh, what's going on in college. But the reality is, you know, the greatest—I well, mean, the biggest number of people in higher education, of course, is in community college, two-year schools, and above that is our state universities. Like the here in Pennsylvania, where I live, we have the 14 university system schools, like. Constance, State, Westchester. Um, and yeah, absolutely. If you want to be a teacher, I would highly recommend going to those schools. I think we need to, um, I think we need to invest more in these schools so that they do a better job. No, of, no, I, I,
1: well, I would beg to differ. I don't think we need to invest anything more with these schools because I think these schools have gotten to the point, and you know, it's, it's bad to speak in a broad stroke, so let's be more specific. Liberal arts schools in the middle of Oshkosh that do not have the brand appeal, let's be real, brand is important. If you give a resume that says you went to Harvard or you give one that went to Westchester, it's going to be looked at differently. That's just the way life is. All right, so you're paying for the brand. All right, I'll grant you that. But the the amount of money, the increase over the past 20 or so years has not been inflation increases, it has been going up leaps and bounds where uh, the only way to go to college was to take loans, get scholarships, and go through courses that may or may not be important for your profession, but at the end to hold up that BA or BS and be saddled with enormous amounts of debt. In what world did that make sense?
0: It's a complicated system. You know, we, we do have, we absolutely
1: do have these small liberal arts
0: schools out in Wisconsin, uh, you know, that, that offer liberal majors. I, I would say, though, that that's a very small percentage of the system. You know, the biggest, the biggest percentage of the system is state universities or e- even our flagship colleges, you know, Penn State, Rutgers, um, uh, you know, University of Massachusetts, University of Vermont. Uh, you know, school schools that schools that your listeners are well familiar with. Uh, absolutely, those schools have become very expensive. There, if you, if you live in state, it might even even with even when Pell grants or scholarships or whatever deducted, you still might have a cost of attending a year of college, fifteen twenty thousand dollars per year for a public university in your state where you live. Um, what's happened though is. You know, you talk about investment. I, I think investment matters on some level. State legislatures over the last forty years, and particularly the last fourteen years since the Great Recession of, of two thousand eight, have dramatically cut taxpayer spending on these schools, and they expected the, the difference to be made up with tuition. And be, and it, it, as you know, the biggest tuition a school like the University of Vermont gets is not from somebody who lives in Vermont, but somebody from New York or you know, somebody from New Jersey who, who wants to go to, like, kind of a cool party school in a hit city, right? And so, uh, and uh, uh, they convinced their family to pay the full out-of-state tuition, which at a school like that could be, fifty, you know, $50,000 a year. And part of the problem is these schools um, started giving really preference to these out-of-state rich kids who – aren't even really there just to, to study necessarily. Some of them are and some of them are there for the status, the prestige, to have a good time. And, and something else that, I, that I'm sure you're familiar with is a number of these schools uh, really went nuts starting in the 2000s in terms of trying to attract uh, international students, especially from China. You know, you had this huge pool of students from China in particular who are willing to pay full freight to send their kids to the United States. Um, you know, some of them, some of them do very well in our, our universities. Some of them aren't quite ready. They don't have the, they don't have the full English schools or not. One of the reasons, one of the reasons I wrote this book, is I said, some of, some of these things that are happening to, to make the system work like those things are, are crazy. So how, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we look at this in a new way? How do we okay. maybe start from scratch on some level and start all over again? Okay. We think, we think what college is, who it's for, what we're gonna do with the people who maybe shouldn't go to a four-year college, what's gonna happen to them. Uh, But these are the issues I try and explore in my book.
1: Okay, so what I saw, and this is not only me, this is many parents saw in 2020 during COVID, what a sham, and I'm using that word strongly, what a sham a lot of college education was, what was being charged to parents, and what the students were getting. Many colleges did not want to even discount for their Zoom classes, they wanted full payment, uh, yeah. though the kids were not getting the so-called college experience, which means basically you know, drinking, partying, and doing all that kind of crap. And uh, parents were sitting around like I was, listening to my, one of my son's business classes and just laughing that the teacher, the professor, had no idea of what made the real business world work And uh, I just thought, my gosh, you know, the emperor's wearing no clothes. And it's not only me. Uh, I'm just going to read you a stat here. And this is before COVID. In 2019, 51% of American adults considered a college degree to be very important. That's down from 70% in 2013, according to Gallup polls. Positive views of college among those 18 to 29 felt the 41%. So Americans now are not viewing college as very important and this was prior to covid and positive views of college now for the for the marketplace which is the 18 to 29 fell to 41%. Why did that happen?
0: It, it's really shocking, you know, uh, you go back a few years and when all these other institutions like congress or uh, you know uh, the media <laughs> uh, you know had these low approval ratings with the public 20 25% College always college always retained this high approval rating, and that that kind of gets back to what I was saying earlier about college for such a long time as the American dream, and it met, and and just the badge of, of a college diploma, and sending your, and, and as a parent sending your kids to a good college meant meant so much to families that people were willing to pay any price, and, and also maybe not question the system. And, and I think I think you're right. I think you know I think I think COVID was like ripping a Band-Aid off a. A big scar, right? Where it exposed a lot, you know. All, you know, these, like you said. I mean, these schools, for the most part, didn't offer discounts. But yet, when all of a sudden, when you didn't have the lifestyle of college, you know, the the fraternities, the parties, the the other so the football games, the social activities, uh, when it, when it was just all of a sudden reduced to class, people start asking, "What what is college worth?" And I mean, to me, that just shows that maybe we were putting too much emphasis on, on those social things, or, 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 or we were
1: being sold a bill of goods by an educational system, which told naive parents that for their kids to get anywhere, they need a college degree.
0: One thing that really took one thing that really took root uh, around the uh, around the 80s and 90s, and, and it's just gotten more extreme over the last 20 years, is, is the prestige marketing of colleges, right? Um, where Colleges are colleges are marking themselves to kids and, and to some extent to their parents, not you know, not on the professors, not on not on the particular academic programs. Uh that, that's usually the that's sometimes the last thing that comes up. But instead, uh there's this race to put in rock climbing walls. You know, uh so many universities have these lazy rivers where kids can, you know, float on float on a raft and, and, and float around campus. Um uh so many campuses have food courts with, you know, gourmet food options for these kids. Um, You know, the the flat screen TVs. And, um, you know, a a lot of people talk about college becoming kind of this implicit bargain, right? Where, um, you know, for, for a lot of kids looking ahead to their careers, the big thing is what happens when they're a high school senior at age 18 is where do they get in? Because if they get in to a big name school like a Harvard or like Dartmouth or somewhere like that, uh then they know that they just have to graduate and get that name on the diploma and they're pretty much set for life in the job market and um you know a lot of these schools for one reason or another don't 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 demand a lot on students they don't they don't offer they don't offer coursework that's so difficult that that students are going to be flunking out for academic reasons kids kids drop out for financial reasons all the time because of the cost but not that many kids are going to be flunked out for for academic okay, reasons. let me let me let me
1: let me hold you one sec. I'm gonna give you another stat, all right? I want you to respond to this one as well. Sure. So basically you you you're you're agreeing with me that college basically set up a fantastic front to get unsuspecting, I don't want to say unsuspecting, to get kids to go to their schools that had really very little to do with academics in some cases. But as long as they put asses in the seats at thirty, forty thousand dollars, it was a happy day for everybody. Right. The kid was getting a degree. Mom and pop could say my kid graduated university or blah, blah. And the college got paid X amount of tens of thousands of dollars, even though they might have an endowment, uh, to give this kid a degree. And you in your words, they might not have even earned it.
0: Yeah. I mean, the system is definitely off track. OK. And the, the, the question, though, is what, what do we what do we want to replace it? Hang, right? hang on and, with replacing
1: uh, it. Let's let's keep building the case. Let's keep building the case. Will, because. I guarantee a lot of my listeners are saying you're washed up, Charles. College is the American dream; it's the ticket to prosperity. Well, I'll show you a lot of people having a lot of problems because yeah, of this. I ticket. mean, I,
0: I, I don't know. I don't know, Charles. I think
1: I think I think any
0: parent who is trying to save money for their kid or is trying now now to pay off some of these loans is, is asking questions. I, I, I well, you, finally,
1: well, finally, you yeah, know, yeah. let, let me let, me read, a, 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 let, let a, me read you this change, stat. Let me read you this stat from. This is from uh, 19.6 million students enrolled in spring of 2011. Okay, That's 19.6, uh, more than a decade ago. By 2019, that number fell to 17.5, so 2 million less enrolled in school uh, eight years later. The pandemic sped the decline. The number is now down to 6 point, 16.2 by this spring, according to the National Student Clearinghouse. So we had 19.6; we're down to 16.2. So the marketplace ain't that stupid. They're getting the drift of this cost, and it's you know Adam Smith's invisible hand in the capitalist society. You're figuring mm-hmm. out that yeah, it's no ba- you're not getting the bang for the buck because if it was, these numbers should be inverted, and it shouldn't be declining.
0: Yeah, those numbers are real. You know, there there is absolutely a sea change in attitude that's taking place out there and uh you know uh everybody knew that enrollment was going to drop somewhat during the pandemic and now the pandemic you know it's not over but in, in people's minds people are acting as if the pandemic is over and you, you would have expected enrollment to bounce back but enrollment is down again this fall and it's not it's not because of COVID. it's because people are asking that basic question is it is a four-year degree worth it for my four-year degree worth it for my kids? Let me throw something That's
1: else at you. Let me throw one more thing at you, and I'm going to give you the give you the give you the, give you the stage. Meanwhile, while all this is happening, companies including Alphabet, Incs, Google, and Coursera, as well as coding boot camps, have eroded colleges' near monopoly on post-secondary education, offering inexpensive online courses that are closely aligned with the labor market comment
0: Uh, yeah there's some there's something about um the necessity for a college degree that changed a lot over the last 40 or 50 years and um people people i think are finally just starting to understand it there's a there's a there's a highfalutin word called called credentialism which is you know the importance that's placed on the on the on the paper degree, the college diploma is your credential to, to get to get through life. And when you think about it, I mean, the job, the jobs in our job market are so different and so varied. Why why would you necessarily need the same amount of time, you know, four years to learn each particular job uh, That the people who looked at this credentialism? Um, look at these jobs like, for example, funeral home directors, an example. Um, uh, why, why would you need a college degree necessarily to be a female director? Uh, I'll give you another one, which I think you'll appreciate. Newspaper reporter. You probably know this, but 50 or 60 years ago, maybe, you know, 40, 50% of people working in journalism as reporters didn't have a college degree. You know, they've been copy boys and they worked their way up and they, and they learned the trade, you know, through doing. But uh, nowadays, there's no way you would get your foot in the door of a newsroom without a college degree. And so... Given the cost of college, given the fact that people in their their twenties have these debts now of you know $75,000, one hundred thousand uh, dollars, you know they're not they're not buying homes, they're not even getting married in some cases because they feel like they, they can't do that with this debt burden around their necks. Uh, so so it makes sense that for people like you know like like Google or Alphabet and and like uh, Apple, uh, I, IBM is another big leader in this field. Where let's go through all of our job openings. You know, some some of them some of them need a four year college degree, like a mechanical engineer or something like that. But some of these other jobs don't. Uh, you know, especially especially in the high tech society, there's a lot of the coding, IT type jobs that um, obviously you know require knowledge and skill, but but not a four year bachelor's degree. I, I heard
1: on one YouTube uh, um, video I was watching, I forgot the exact name, I forgot the exact person, but uh, something to the extent of he was the head of the department at one of the big colleges, <clears throat> I forgot which one, in, uh, in, um, in coding, in a, you know computer science. And he said that if I was starting a company, I wouldn't hire a kid from college with a coding degree with, with computer science. I'd hire someone who's been coding since they're 10 years old and don't have a degree. And this was the head of the department saying that. And I thought I don't want to mention the college name because I might be wrong, but I found that astounding.
0: Yeah, that that, that is fascinating, and and uh, you know it, it's it's hard it's hard work to find a kid like that and, and and recruit them, which is why which is why a lot of companies fall back on these credentials like diplomas because uh, you know job recruiting is hard work, and and uh, just asking somebody where they went to college is a lot easier, right? So, um, uh, but yeah, I think I think we finally I think. You know, and, and maybe it was the pandemic, but I think we finally reached a tipping point where people are asking these questions about, uh, you know, is is college right for me? And and I think I think we need to change our ways of thinking about a lot of things, including, um, uh, you know, is is American society going to be a meritocracy, where the determination of who has merit and who doesn't is whether they have a college diploma?
1: Well, it's because, been it's been it's been that way for the past uh, sixty years or so, right?
0: yeah and 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 i I know we talked about this in the pre-interview about not going off into politics and i'm not going to do it now but i but i will say i will make one point about politics is when when you look at the the politics of resentment out there people people particularly in the working class um are very angry about what's country what's going on in this country um who are angry at certain types of professionals and managers like people in the media people who don't like college professors, and uh, these are the people, who I think, who overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump in 2016, and again in 2020, um, you know, the, these are, for the most part, people without college diplomas, and, and people who feel that they're being looked down on, you know, No, 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 let, people- let, me,
1: let me stop you. Now look down on being treated hostily. CUNY, the City University of New York, where my kids went to, and we're Jewish, and very pro-Israel, CUNY has turned into a hotbed of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. There's no difference between the two, but they're using that guise. And my kids were telling me when they were on college campus, they went to Brooklyn College. They kept their head down and keep walking when the Palestinians would be taunting and yelling and screaming and going in their class and saying anti Semitic uh, and and anti anything, family values, morals, to that extent. I said, What did you respond? He says, We didn't bother because we'd be yelled down at by the professor as well as the other students. So they stayed silent. So college, in a way, became a very hostile place for uh, many people, especially a lot of Jewish people, as well as those who were conservative. So I wouldn't say just Donald Trump or or that to that extent, but conservative and family values were being looked upon by this wokeism and this leftism that college universities have just basically a uh, uh, grown light, like, like, like weeds.
0: Here, here's my take on that, which is that diversity, diversity in college is so important and the ability for any type of person, you know, Jewish, Muslim, you know, rich, poor, conservative, liberal, that the, the ability for any type of person to go onto a campus, to feel welcome, to feel that that they can get something out of that experience that they can learn is just so important. And I I feel that that's why I think we need to be talking more about about access to college, because to me, you know, I I mean, I I, I follow this free speech debate, um, you know, and and I read these op-eds in the New York Times about wokeism, and I think, you know, sometimes the individual cases they're writing about, they have a point. But I think, there's a, I think there's a broader issue here, which is, you know, we, we, need, to, we need to make college a, a place where anybody who wants that opportunity can have it, where people feel that it's, we don't have people who feel that college isn't for them, that they're not shut out. Um, you know, um, uh, the, the, these places in the Rust Belt or these rural areas, uh, you know, where, where you have lots of Trump supporters, you know, you also have low rates of people going to college. And we need to figure out how to get back to where, where people feel welcome in college. You know, um yeah, but, but uh, you you
1: keep saying the Rust Belt. The-
0: cutie, let me just say something back because you know, I just want to mention because you mentioned Cutie. I mean Cutie is just a fascinating case study over time because as you well know, uh, you know, back back around the time when we were young people, um, CUNY didn't have tuition. It was free for everybody. And it was also held up as a, a role model, you know, uh you know, New York City, New York City in particular was just one, just this kind of rocket, this like slingshot that launched people uh, from the middle, from the lower middle class or the working class into a better life. You know, um, you're, you're, you're from Brooklyn, right? Well, Where let Charles me just tell
1: from- you, CUNY, City University, City University was considered back in the 40s and 50s as the poor man's Harvard. There were, I think, yeah. eight or 10 Nobel Prize winners from there.
0: One, yeah, one thing I mentioned in my book is, you, is you go back to the 1950s and you look at you look at Central Brooklyn, and you look at just the names of the famous people who you know who went to four or five high schools that are all adjacent to each other. You know, James James Madison and Midwood and all these high schools. Talking about you know Woody Allen, Barbara Streisand, Carol King, you know, but Chuck Schumer, you know, Bernie Sanders, God love you know. Uh, um, uh, uh, like you said, many many Nobel Prize winners, uh, you know, scientists. Um, you know, they came. From, they came from the public schools in Brooklyn, and many of them, many of them went to City University of New York or other schools that either were free or you know, tuition was maybe three hundred dollars a semester. And um, so, 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 cost isn't the only factor, obviously, but you know, we need to look at costs. We need to look at exclusivity because you know, I think. I think if you deal with the, with the cost factor or the admissions office making people feel that colleges aren't for them, you'll get more diverse student bodies. And you know what? If you have more diverse student bodies... Wait, wait, so have, you're telling me you're the, problem, have the
1: problem here is diversity? That there's not enough... Which group is not diversified enough in I'm the college system? I'm talking about
0: all diversity. So, you know, I'm talking, about, I'm, talking about kids, I'm talking about kids from Harlem, but I'm also talking about kids from Montana. Okay, so so about, Will,
1: let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. In conservative Brooklyn, where most of the Jewish people who go to CUNY colleges, in the five boroughs, uh, are in a, in a situation here where they're there's, they're more conservative than let's say woke well, well, let's just say that I don't know why are they being shouted down? Why, when conservative speakers come to colleges, they need police escorts? Uh, why, when Ben Shapiro goes to a college? Uh, and just wants to speak, it's 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 not free speech for them. Why is it overly uh, liberal leftist doctrines that are preached, where at the same time, with this cry of free speech, but at the same time, conservative values are not shunned upon, but treated aggressively? Why is that? Well, there's, there's,
0: there's, no, there's no doubt our colleges have become a battleground. Um, uh, and, and, and I think, I think we don't dig deep enough to see, you know, the, the roots of how college stopped being the American dream for all people. Caused, I think, is, is at the roots of a lot of our political bitterness and resentment. So, so um, yeah, I, I think I think it's wrong when um, uh, a conservative speaker uh, speaker is shouted down and, and and not allowed to speak. Uh, you know, I've written about that at Berkeley. I've written about. The protests at the University of Missouri, and and uh, we had this this horrible scene where a journalism professor, uh, uh, her name is Click, I still remember. Professor Click, um, you know, told other journalists that the protest was a safe space and that they couldn't cover it. You right. know I, I'm a big believer in the First Amendment, which is freedom of the press, but it's also it's also free speech. Um, I'm, I'm I'm very concerned, and I'm sure I'm sure to the extent that you followed this, I'm sure you're concerned too about. the other the other side of the coin which is um, uh, these governments in some of these red states like florida um, you know uh, kind of going back to kind of the mccarthy style restrictions on on, on what people on on what people can say on campus
1: but you think Um, you think that's the main problem at this point The, the states like florida and not for the past 20 to 30 years the leftist doctrine that's being preached and and the uh, anything of, of family values, conservative values, certain minorities, uh, that you know, genders, that's that's not the issue. I think I, I think
0: I think we want. I think the bottom line is we want campuses that are open where people feel free
1: to speak. No, definitely mind. agree. Will I, I'm we're both on the same page there. <laughs> I'm just saying the present situation now. You're basically I don't know if you're saying this, and that's why I'm asking for a clarification. Is it the states like Florida, which you're saying is turning into McCarthyism, and I'll challenge you on that point in a minute, or is the basic problem of many of the issues that you just raised in the colleges you covered, like Berkeley and, and Missouri, where where any type of speech other than approved speech by leftists and liberals is not tolerated? Which do you think is think the bigger I, problem?
0: I think, I you know, I, I think... I think I think honestly we, we obsess a little bit too much on um you know these these individual flare- ups and flaps and and, and and we're not looking at the big picture. you know the, the big you know it, it it doesn't matter whether it doesn't matter whether a college is banning speakers if you can't afford to go there.
1: So wait, hang, hang on a second. so let me let me take back the anti-Semitism that is is, is a breeding ground in college universities. And I'm just using CUNY just as an example because, oh, yeah. basically, I
0: mean, more, I mean, when you are going to frame it that way, I, I mean, any any anti-Semitism is important, right?
1: So any anti-Semitism, uh, what?
0: Of course, I mean, I you know, it's not even a, it's not even a matter for debate,
1: really. But so I'm looking here, and this is in New York. This is in New York. Uh, uh, C, uh, CUNY leadership has looked the other way. Uh, BDS movements an adjunct professor at CUNY called to erase this filth called Jews. The school's faculty union adopted a harshly and ignorantly worded anti-Israel resolution just a few weeks ago. Uh, an anti semite was CUNY's law school's commencement speaker. Anti-Semitism in all forms must be identified, called out and crushed. It's time to clean house at CUNY. And this is in CUNY. This is in a Jewish Jewish New York with a large Jewish population where college kids throughout this country in certain universities say, I do not feel comfortable being a Jew in these places. So it's because... Certain people can't afford to go to college. Is that the issue?
0: That's one issue. I mean, I, another thing that I, another thing that I um, talk about a lot in the book is, you know, and again, this is getting back to the fundamental question of what is college for, but, you know, is, is college strictly just to get a job and prepare for a career? Or is it, is it to learn civic values? Is it to learn moral values, which is, I think ties into what you're asking about, about, you know the the moral values that students hold and I, I mean honestly this is something that probably starts before college because as you know when we stop teaching civics and and, and uh other things in, in our middle schools and high schools you know to focus strictly on people passing tests and, and and we need to get back to civics education but um you know in my book and and what i'm trying to do with this book is i'm trying to look at the at the long sweep of the history of college since World War II, to look at where we were and how we got here. And um, uh, that's why I'm taking this step back here for a second from the present. I want to step back to to right after World War II because World War II was when we we had the rise of fascism around the world. It's when you had, and and when many felt threatened by communism communism in other countries. Uh, We we just had a world war and people were worried about the nuclear bomb and what that was going to do. And um, a lot of educators felt that giving people more access to higher education was a way, was a, a, a way to make the world a better place. And you know, students fought into this. If there, were, um, there have been surveys of, of college freshmen over the years, like UCLA does this great survey every year of why people go to college. If you go back to, say, the 1960s, for example, people said the main reason they were going to college was to become a better person. And uh, twenty years later, by the late '80s, seventy to eighty percent of these kids were saying the reason they were going to college was, was to learn how to get a job, you know, to get a career skill. So, and um, one of the questions I asked, you know, in, in my book after the iron tower falls, is did we make a mis- did we make a mistake in getting away from those ideas after World War II? You know, these ideas that, that education can be can be to make a person a, a better person. And, and and this is this is an issue that's been debated on on, on the left but also on the right. You know, you might be familiar with the, the book that Alan Bloom wrote in the 1980s um, uh, you know, about uh, about the problems on campus. And he he was complaining about the lack of moral education. Now, he was coming at it from a conservative point of view. And you know, um you know if we have if we had more on campuses, uh we would be having a good healthy debate about what is moral and what's right? But uh, um, it, it should be—it should—it should be a debate. It should not be—it shouldn't be people being shouted down, which I think gets to your point. And it certainly shouldn't be people being um, shouted down because of who they are or because of their identity, you know, because of their religion or ethnicity or anything like that. She, um, she yeah, think. But I, I, think, I, I do think—I do um, think—you know—radical change. The word radical means going back to the roots. Um, You know, I'm arguing, let's go back to the roots of of why we even go to college. You know, what, why, you know, what, you know, if you go back, if you go back to, uh, if you go back to World War II, only 5% of the country had a a college diploma, you know, most, uh, a a four-year bachelor's degree. Um, So uh, now the number is 37% and another 30%. Try to go to college and try and get a degree and, and don't make it because they can't afford it or they drop out or or other things happen in life. And um, if we're going to send millions of our kids away for two years, three years, four years, uh, what are they there to
1: learn? But we're not doing that anymore. It's easy. The trend is the other way. We're not sending our kids there. We dropped, what, 30, 40, 30% in the past several years from 19 to 16 million.
0: And I don't think, I don't know if the drop is that high. But I mean, you're right. I mean, the, you're right in the in the sense that the numbers are are, are start are starting to turn around, um, and uh, yeah, so it, it's kind of it, it's kind of why I'm glad I published this book when I did because because I've been thinking about these ideas for a long time. And I think honestly, if I'd written this book when I started thinking about um, college and how it affected people's politics and how it had affected people's social status and how it affected people's views of other Americans. But if I'd written this book 15 years ago, I don't think people were ready for it. But but now now, like you said, your friends and you yourself are asking the question: Was college worth it? You know, I mean, I mean, you did it. You sent your five kids to college. I sent my my two kids to college. Um, you know, we did it. it was, I think I think you know our our generation, the baby boom, you know, we grew up. That was just the expectation. And um, what I what I argue is, you know. In the book is that we kind of lose our young people at age eighteen. Uh, you know, one thing we, one thing we haven't talked a lot about in this interview, but is so important is what 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 does society owe to the one third of these kids who are never going to set foot on a on a traditional
1: college campus? Trade schools. You know? we don't, first of all, don't we don't owe them anything, right? This is this is we don't owe them anything. Uh, you know, America is built on opportunity and 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 freedom and uh you know you don't need college you don't need uh, uh that to, for, for the opportunity to be there uh, we should have more tra- I, would,
0: I, would, I would look at it this way i mean i think we we've, we've come to you know it, it, it's interesting that in american society how we come to a consensus on some ideas but not other ideas like think think, think for a second about k-12 education right um no, nobody nobody at this point well well let me rephrase that most people at this point don't seriously question whether public education is a public good, that, that our, our tax oh, dollars- Wait, wait, many people is, do.
1: I've had many people on the show- oh, more more, more, yeah, I was gonna say, on the, on
0: the far right, more and more people are, are questioning this, and maybe that's not a perfect example, but I, I would still say, I would say this, I would say the vast majority of Americans believe that K-12 is a public
1: good. Okay, um, maybe, maybe if it's, and, but we also and, have-
0: And the, the, the reason for that, the reason for that, I'm not going to go too long on this, but just let me say quickly. I mean, the reason they think it's a public good because if you go back to the industrial revolution, you know, you needed you needed that education through high school to come out and be a, be a functioning adult, a functioning member of the workforce. Um, and and college at that time was felt maybe it was a luxury. Well, as you know, times have changed. You know, that the we're in a knowledge economy. Most jobs most jobs require more skill today than the jobs of hundred years ago do. And, uh, you know, we, and we, and like, I, like I argue in the book, we, we've also learned that college always has other benefits of making people into better citizens.
1: So maybe in the um, past, maybe in the uh, past, but not, not you know, you know, all, I think one thing too. Well, why,
0: can't, why can't we dream? Why can't we dream? Why can't we dream of, um, uh, you know, in, instead of instead of cutting our young people off at age 18 and saying, you're on your own, you know. I mean, I mean that that story you told at the beginning uh, about your friend making that $150,000 loan decision in, in a matter of seconds. Um, that was a very powerful story because that happened. That happens all over this country every day. Is that people people make these decisions about the rest of their lives when they're 18 years old, whether it's going to college or not going to college, or not going to trade school, or you know, uh, joining the army or whatever. Or whatever. Um, uh, and they may not be ready to make that decision. I I I actually um actually have a my closing riff in the book is uh, a plea that I, I think the government should do a lot more to offer a, a gap year, universal, universal civilian service. And when I say universal, not mandatory, because you and I both know how things are in this country right now. Nobody <laughs> nobody agrees to mandatory anything anymore, and, and that's just the way it is. But you uni- universal would be the incentives for taking this, this gap year would be considerable and and, and and most people don't want to do this. I mean, ima- imagine if, um, you know, you had public projects where all of a sudden these kids from rural West Virginia and kids from, you know, Long Island, uh, you know, are, are working together for a common project. You know, you know, that used to happen during wars, unfortunately. No, that happened no. During,
1: during the drift, right? When you had a yeah. drift, you had right. that, right? Now you don't have yeah. anything.
0: Right. And so this is kind of like a civilian draft, like I said, because, because we, we become such an individual, individualistic society, it's it's hard to, it's hard to make something like this mandatory, like the, like the military draft was, but um, I, I mean, I mean, you and I both see it. I mean, I mean, this is what we're talking about, what's happening me with people yelling at each other. I mean, uh, how,
1: how about how about incentivizing those gap kids to do uh, c- a civil service, you know, national service, work in the parks Absolutely. department, working just get everyone, you know you see the kid from uh, I had on the show a few weeks ago Rich Cohen, whose father was Herbie Cohen, the world's greatest negotiator. and <laughs> it was it was a really great show. And uh, he talked yeah. about he was Herbie Cohen was a Jewish kid from the Bronx, uh, from Brooklyn, Bensonhurst, rather. And he goes yeah. in World War II and he joins and, he, and he, he, he's, he's bunking with, with uh, soldiers from rural Alabama who, who never even saw big cities, forget it. And this is the way everyone became friends and everyone learned to work together and that was the integration of society. Now we're are so you, bifurcated. We, we, we don't even know what the people of, in the next town, what they think. We, you work with someone you know, building a park uh, um, 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 in forestry uh, in in uh, working with disabled children, working with what's wrong with national service?
0: I I I love it. I, I I really you know and and you know our our current president Biden is is has talked about supporting this, but like a lot of things on his on his agenda, he hasn't gotten to it. I would say I would say make this a priority because our our you know we're living in a time where people are talking about the possibility of another civil war. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but the idea that the fact that so many people are even talking about, is there going to be another civil war in this country? We, we've really reached a point where people need to learn how how to reconnect, how to find each other. And like you said, how to know what's going on in the next town. And, you know, that, you know, I, I just love that whole idea of how, like you said, in World War II, the guy from, uh, you know, my, my, my father-in-law who's from South Philly, Italian-American, um, Um, you know, never would have left the city probably, but, you know, he he got drafted, or he joined the military, excuse me, he enlisted at the end of World War II and uh, went off to Alabama, was based there, and met people from all over the country before he went off to Berlin and was part of the occupation. And uh, so many people had that experience. And and when you think back, and yet this period after after World War II and after Korea, after these two wars, where people came home to their communities in the 50s, uh, I'm, I'm not saying America was perfect. America had a lot of problems, but it was, it was a time where there was much, much more of a sense of national purpose. Uh, you know, that we were all on the same team and moving in, in the same direction. No, I agree
1: with you. You know, we have, we could all have differences of opinions, but we should not have differences of principles. Yeah. And that's and, what and, we've and, lost.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and as you mentioned, we'd be doing other stuff too, you know, uh, uh, you know, I mean, Trump made his famous comments about the uh, wildfires out in California. It's like, oh, well, they need to be raking the forest. It's like, all right, well, let's get let's get an army of, you know, 10,000 18 year olds to go out there and, and rake the forest and, uh, and and help minimize these wildfires. I mean, I just I just, I just think that be fantastic. It would be fantastic. And, you know, um, w- would it be would it be an expensive program uh, on some level? Yes. But I mean, I mean, can we afford not to do it, you know? Um, uh, you know the the fact that we do such a bad job in helping our young people with this transition into adulthood has so many consequences. You know there've been there've been studies now on so what happens to the what happens to the eighteen year olds who don't go to college who get who become kind of lost in our economy. Um, uh, I don't know if you've heard about this phrase deaths of despair, but uh, you know, these two Princeton economists have studied, uh, and this is the big reason why the U.S. life expectancy is actually dropping instead of going up, is because so many first middle-aged and now even younger people, primarily in, in the working class, and to be honest, in, in the white working class for the most part, uh, are succumbing to opioid abuse and, and dying of overdoses. Um, the suicide rate has increased dramatically. Um, you know, Alcohol is also a major contributor to death. And, and, and we're losing these people and, and we pay for that as we pay for that as a society and we, and we pay a lot, frankly, as taxpayers uh, for that We pay for we pay for the high rate of people in prisons, you know, so um, why, why not? Why not make that investment a positive investment? Well, right uh, people, you know, I'd, I'd be the community. first, you
1: know, a se- national service for everyone 18 to 20. If you graduate high school, two years of national service and uh, you get your pick. We have pre-approved programs. There's structure. The kids learn skills. They learn more importantly to see other parts of the country and to see other people and, as people. And and you know we're, we're and, it,
0: yeah. and you know something. That, yeah, it, absolutely. I, I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm just I was just gonna um, make one other point. Like you said, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if it's feasible for two years or not. But but let's say it was, you know. And and so now now kids are 20, and now now they're making that big decision about whether they want to go to. An expensive college they're I mean, more, they've got,
1: they're more they, mature they've been on their own they have more context they've seen the world how the hell do you they, expect they know, the kid? They know, they know what
0: they, they know what they like to do now, and, they right? they they, like. They
1: know, and they know what they don't like and they know what they don't like you know
0: well, we, we, whereas, whereas kids you know my, my kids and maybe your kids they they didn't know when they when they were picking their majors when they were 18. they, they didn't know i mean they both uh, i'm lucky my kids both have master's degrees now they both are doing really interesting things but uh they both they both had to do kind of 180s from, from when they were freshmen in college. Yeah, you know, look, how do we expect
1: 18-year-old kids without any knowledge of the world to make a decision and declare a major on something they wanted or think they wanted to devote their life to and realize a year or two later, gosh, what a mistake that was. I took A, hey, look, Bill, I took AP Chem in high school, and that was a choice. <laughs> I still regret that first day I went into class, I say, what the hell am I doing? There's no way I'm going <laughs> into medicine. And after, like, I think it was 9.15, the class started at 9, I realized I made a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's silly, but uh, we, we... Yeah. We, no, we, we just yeah, I mean, we, was... we make We make our kids... Or we don't make our kids. We put our kids in a position where the opportunity is so great for them to fail by making them make lifelong decisions and now financial decisions based on colleges that why are they picking this college? What's wrong with the state school? What's wrong with the city school? What's wrong with a community school? Not everyone needs to go to a four-year college and put themselves in two hundred thousand dollars debt.
0: And, and, and our kids feel that stress, you know. I mean, oh, tell me
1: about it. The depression is on the rise among eighteen to twenty-four Absolutely. year olds. Suicide problems.
0: Are. Young people are off the charts, and and I, I really think I think this setup around college or not college, you know, who, who has merit and who's worthless, and the fact. You know, no, no, that's that's not to be decided for people at age 18. You know, that's we 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 determine whether we have merit with our entire lives, not not based on some decision we made when we're a senior in high
1: school. Right. Outstanding, outstanding folks. Yeah. So, yeah. No, let's have the last word. Go ahead, Will.
0: Oh yeah. So, um, I mean, national service is just one of a number of ways. In the book, I talk about we we should just radically rethink. You know, the, the American dream of college, it's, it's not a it's not a fixed thing. Times have changed. And now we need to we need to change what the what the ambitions and the goals are for our young people. And we and we can do that as a country, we, you know, but um, it's, it's a tough it's, it involves some tough decisions that may involve spending some money here or, and cutting some dollars there. But we need to make some of these tough yep.
1: decisions. Well, folks, the name of the book is After the Ivory Tower Falls, How College Broke the American Dream and Blew Up Our Politics and How to Fix It. By Will Bunch. Will, I didn't mention that you are a Pulitzer Prize winner. Wow. All right. Fantastic. Amazing. And you have a whole bunch of great books. Folks, if you agree, disagree, whatever it might be, is if, if you're still paying off college loans, this is a book that really should be read. And, and, and Will brings up a lot of great points. Doesn't have all the answers, but just bringing up these questions are really important. Will, thanks so much for being on the show. Greatly appreciate it. Well, Charlie, it was so much fun talking to you. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on The Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.